Well, thanks, Marnie, and good morning. It is great to see you. Thank you for being with us this 9 a.m. Uh, service. Uh, I'm glad you were here. Grateful for those of you who are here in the sanctuary, those who are downstairs in the fellowship hall, and for all who are joining online still. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've been loving this spring weather. Uh, today is a beautiful day. Uh, it's a good reason to wake up and enjoy uh, the Lord's Day together. And this morning is the third Sunday of Easter Tide, uh, which is traditionally a 40-day season from Easter to Jesus ascending to heaven. But many churches celebrated as a 50-day season from Easter Sunday to Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is the event that changed the tide and course of history. And so for 50 days, the church celebrates the resurrection, not as a one-day event, but as the event that was the turning point for the world. We're in a series during Eastertide called Resurrection Stories, looking primarily at stories from the four Gospels, when the resurrected Jesus interacts with people. And one very interesting thing to me about post-resurrection stories of Jesus is that all of them are stories of Jesus appearing to his friends and his disciples. And I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus and I had 40 days until I ascended to heaven to let everyone know that I am who I said I am and the proof is my resurrection, I'm pretty confident that I wouldn't spend all 40 days with just my close friends and disciples. I think I would make my way back to Rome and knock on the door of Pilate and Herod and say, I'm back. I think I'd go to Jerusalem and I'd stand before the Sanhedrin and say, look at me, I conquered death and the grave. Believe. But if it was today, I'm pretty sure I would post it on every social media outlet and make sure it went viral. But Jesus' main concern is showing up to his demoralized friends who are afraid, confused, and doubting. And Jesus shows up again and again, proving to his friends that he really had risen from the dead, and he restores them after their experiences of denial and doubt and gives them a renewed hope. And then he takes this ragtag group of people and he sends them out as witnesses into his world. These stories are so good because they are stories about how Jesus handles people just like us. People who stumble along, try to maintain faith, sometimes in the face of very discouraging circumstances. And what we see over and over is that Jesus is gentle and he's patient and he encourages and he restores his people and gifts them power to live in the world. And so we're going to look this morning at Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we do every Sunday to give attention to God and His Word. This is God's Word to us this morning. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fall fresh upon us. The power of God from on high, that you would illumine our minds, that our hearts would be engaged and softened, that you would till the ground of our hearts so that you might plant your word deep within us so that our lives could be changed and transformed because we have heard from you the living Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, draw us into your presence as we hear from you. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, there's a uh, local legend of a preacher in Jackson, Mississippi, who stood up to offer a word on Easter Sunday, and he simply leaned into the mic and said, it's all true. And then he sat down. And there are two ways that people interpret this story. Some people talk about how this minister is a lazy so-and-so, right, who had little regard for the pageantry of Easter, that surely Easter demands a well-thought-out sermon that befits the outfits and the Easter lilies and the Easter egg hunts. And then there were other people who say that they're mystified that someone would be so bold to say such a simple thing and let the gospel speak for itself. The doubting disciples in the story that we just read and all of us here today need to hear this simple but bold statement. It's all true. Because if it's true, it changes everything. But what do you do and where do you go when you question if it is true? Because every single person here, from the most devout believer to those who don't believe, questions God when we're confused and we're trying to comprehend our lives in this world. Maybe you pose your questions out loud for everybody to hear. Maybe they're questions you whisper late at night when no one's around. Maybe they're questions you put in your journal when you're honest with yourself and you're honest before God. We ask intellectual questions like, can I trust the Bible? Why is there so much hypocrisy in the church? How can a good God allow evil in the world? But most often, our questions come out of existential crisis, difficult circumstances that lead us to question God, things like death, war, betrayal, divorce, abuse, disease, job loss, loneliness, depression, the list goes on, horrific things that cause profound questions about God. When our hopes are dashed in some form or fashion, it can lead us to question if God is who he says he is. And the good thing about God is that he welcomes us and he meets us in our questioning and our doubts. We see that in our passage this morning. Jesus is being questioned by the doubting disciples and we see Jesus do three things. Jesus gives room, Jesus responds, and Jesus recommissions. So the three things we're going to look at this morning. Now imagine the scene. The disciples here had just experienced the most extraordinary day in human history. On that Easter morning, the day began 
at the first light of dawn, and a small group of women went to the tomb with spices for Jesus' burial. And as these women get to the tomb, they see angels who announce the good news that Jesus had risen. And so they run to tell the disciples, and the disciples start running back and forth to the tomb, checking it out and wondering, is this true? And so people start spreading this news. He has risen. And this great news was hard to believe. And so we pick up in our passage, and the disciples are gathered together, and and they're talking about the resurrection. They're probably discussing what happened on the road to Emmaus in the passage just before the one I read when Jesus appeared to two of his disciples. And now Jesus appears, and he stands among his disciples, and he says, Peace to you. This was not your normal greeting. Right? Jesus wasn't walking into the room among his friends and disciples and saying, Hey everyone, it's me, Jesus. It's, it's good to see you again. This was the resurrected Christ appearing to questioning and doubting disciples and proclaiming the most deep and comforting truth. Peace to you. And for the disciples, verse 37, it tells us that it felt like a ghost appeared and shouted, Boo! They're all startled and they're frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. And the first thing we see is that Jesus gives room for their doubting. Jesus asked them a question. Why are you so troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Jesus loved to ask questions. Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Bible. Jesus loved to ask questions because questions are vehicles of intimacy. They are invitation into relationship. Now, it's important for us to understand that despite Jesus telling the disciples that he would die and then rise from the dead, this was not their expectation. A dead person rising from the dead was just as unexpected in first century as it is for us today. Unmet expectations causes confusion, frustrations, doubts. And I'm sure we've all experienced unmet expectations in big ways and in small ways. And they can leave a person to fill in the blank for themselves on why what was expected did not happen. And left alone to fill in that blank, we can become judgmental, cynical, bitter. But Jesus does not leave the confused and doubting disciples alone. Nor does he leave us alone to fill in the blank of unmet expectations. He invites us into relationship with himself and he gives room to be honest. And he does this by asking a question. Verse 38, why are you so troubled and afraid? Can't you feel how disarming this one question is? It's an invitation to be honest in relationship rather than cynical and filling in the blanks of our questions from a relational distance. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, and it does change everything. But that does not mean our expectations of how life should go for us on this side of heaven will always be met. Which means we will have our doubts and our questions and we can either become cynical and judgmental and isolate ourselves or we can let the resurrected Christ who is alive and who is present meet us right where we are. By the way, here at Christ Central, we think this model of Jesus is a good one for us as his church to follow. It is why on a Sunday you will often hear us from up front say, we hope everyone here feels welcome to be honest 
about where you are in your own journey of faith, that it is our great desire for you to be honest where you are in your relationship with Jesus, and that our offer is to journey with you so that you're in relationship rather than isolated, that you can belong to this community before you are certain of your belief, that you can belong to this community when your belief feels shaky, that the best ways to deal with unmet expectations in this life which lead us to question is to be in relationship with other people and ultimately in relationship with Jesus, which is why we encourage people to participate in city groups and in Bible studies, to come to our social gatherings, Right? Belief or certainty of belief is not a requirement. We want everyone to be in relationship. And life's questions aren't always answered with a one-line response. We as a church don't think that's the answer always. Rather, what we see in Luke 24 and the rest of the Bible is that God offers us relationship with the living Christ. To be honest, and he promises to be with us. And so my encouragement to all of you, when life's questions come, please lean into community. Don't isolate. Lean into one another, specifically community that's centered around the presence of Christ. Now, I have to think that Jesus' appearing to the disciples was, was not the only unexpected thing for the disciples. I don't think they would have ever guessed that if Jesus did rise and then he appeared, he would say, peace to you. Because remember, these are Jesus' friends and followers who deserted him betrayed him, denied him. And so when they see Jesus is back from the dead, their expectation is probably something along the lines of, oh no, he's back to kick some tail and take some names. He's about to get revenge on everyone who turned their back on him. Because the moral calculus of their day and our day for that matter is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if Jesus was hung on a cross and is now triumphant over death, no telling what revenge would entail. But Jesus says, peace to you. They're startled and afraid, maybe because they're fearing revenge. Jesus instead is patient, and he's gentle and kind and gracious and merciful. Don't you love how Jesus is so counter our intuition? We expect God to be like we would be. Thankfully, that's just not true. Jesus gives room. The second thing we see about how Jesus engages doubting disciples is that Jesus responds. Not only does he offer his presence in the midst of doubt, he offers proof of his resurrection. Acts 1 verse 3 says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Jesus responded to their questioning with evidence. He says in our text, see, touch, watch me eat. You can trust me. If it is true that I was dead, but now I'm alive. And Luke, the gospel writer, goes out of his way to give us as readers proof of Jesus' resurrection. The first witnesses of the resurrection were women who were held in such low societal status that the testimony in a court of law would not be valid. And so if you're creating a fictional hoax in the first century, a writer would never say women were the first witnesses would make the story less plausible. The reason Luke says this is because it happened. And, and why did Luke add such a mundane kind of dull picture of Jesus eating broiled fish with his disciples? Because it happened. And we know from history that the resurrection changed these fearful doubting disciples into courageous disciples who would die for the mission of God. Why would they do that? 
because the resurrection is true. The message of Christianity is good news about something that happened in history. It's not just good advice for us or or a system of ethics or a moral system for us to live by. It, It is good news about a real historical event. Jesus crucified, three days later risen from the dead. Now, Jesus not only gives proof by saying, see, touch, watch me eat. He also has a Bible study with them, which would have been the most amazing Bible study ever. I mean, Jesus explained how all of the scriptures pointed to himself and were fulfilled in him. I mean, envision yourself in this Bible study and you kind of raise your hand, Jesus, I have a question. I'm in my Old Testament reading plan for the year and and I'm getting just stuck in this, just sludging my way through Leviticus. And then Jesus explains how every detail of the law points to him and is fulfilled by him and your mind is like, amazing. Ask him any question, and he points how he, he, he shows us how every scripture points to him and is fulfilled in him. The scriptures of the Old and New Testament tell the good news about Jesus Christ. And it's in our times of uncertainty and instability that God has given us the Bible by which we are pointed to Christ. And, and, and it's in Jesus that all of the old promises come true at last that we read about in the Old Testament. The promises of David's unshakable kingdom. The promise of Israel's return from exile. The promise to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through Israel. Right? The scriptures proclaim that what saves you, hear this church, the scriptures proclamation is that what saves you is not the strength of your faith, but the strength of Jesus' faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. We will stumble and falter. We might have crises of faith. We might wonder what God is doing or if God is true. The stability that the Scriptures give us is that through them we are pointed to the faithful one, that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. James Torrance was a Scottish theologian who died in 2003. And he was teaching on the West Coast at one time, and he saw an older man walking on the beach. And they started talking to one another, and this man confided in Torrance that his wife of 50 years was dying. And he wasn't sure how he could face the future. And he said that he no longer had faith in God. He left the church, couldn't pray anymore. He didn't know what to do, and so he asked Torrance, what do I do? And Torrance didn't encourage this man to have more faith. Instead, he told him, when you're trying to pray, remember Jesus prays for you. When you're trying to hold on, remember Jesus holds on to you. And when you're trying to care, remember Jesus cares for you. Neither doubt nor fear can separate you from his love. Look to him, look not to you. And this counsel changed that man's life. And it will change yours too. In your doubts and confusions and struggles, look not to yourself, but look to him. And I really love verse 41. It says, they disbelieved for joy and they were marveling. Disbelief for joy, uh, that's a way of saying that the disciples are confused because this seems too good to be true. I mean, the disciples' response is, this can't be, can it? 
can this really be Jesus resurrected from the dead? They disbelieved for joy. It's too good to be true. Sometimes it feels like it's too good. And it is true. That Jesus gives room and Jesus responds. And the last thing that we see in our text is that Jesus recommissions. After Jesus invites them into a relationship and he offers his presence and then he responds to their questions and doubt by giving them proof, he then recommissions them for his mission by granting them power. And he's reminding them that he lived, he died, and he rose for a purpose to fulfill what God had promised, the renewal of all things by bringing heaven to earth. That the truth of the resurrection is not just a comfort for us that we'll float off to heaven when we die, but the truth of the resurrection means a new world order. Verse 47, it means all the nations, the whole world will be brought into the kingdom as people repent and turn from their sin and false belief to receive forgiveness of sin. The resurrected Christ is commissioning his disciples, and he says, verse 48, you are my witnesses, that there is a job to do. You are being sent. Go. Verse 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And this power is referencing the promise of the Holy Spirit that would come upon the disciples in Acts 2 at Pentecost. Now, catch this. The Bible does not say from this point on that the disciples never doubt again. That God's plan to change the world, God's plan for his mission to the world is to empower weak, doubting, struggling disciples by pointing them to the faithful one, Jesus, and drawing them into relationship by giving room and gifting them the Holy Spirit's power. Again, I'm not sure if, if I were Jesus, my plan A to change the world would be a bunch of doubting, skeptical, questioning, failing disciples, but this is exactly God's plan. And it is a joy and it's a privilege for us to participate in God's mission to the world. And we are given Holy Spirit power to be witnesses. Now, to witness, it means to point to something. And as Christians, we point to Jesus and we point to his kingdom. We never point to ourselves. In fact, when this happens, and it does quite often within the church and in ministry, it never works out well. More harm than good is done. We are to witness, to point to Jesus and to his kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. And this feels like a huge task, doesn't it? Which is why we don't trust in our abilities and our power, but we're rather clothed in power from on high. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and works through us. Well, how do we witness? Well, the end always helps us understand the means. And the end of all things for the followers of Jesus, is the renewal of all things through Christ. Spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. Heaven and earth are made one. Which means everything we do matters. As long as it's in the Lord. That there is no secular sacred split. As though these things that are overtly spiritual matter more than these things that seem overtly secular. In God's kingdom, that divide does not exist. Because the whole world is his, and one day earth and heaven will be united. Therefore, everything we do in the Lord, by the Spirit, that points to Jesus and to his kingdom, is witnessing. Our call 
is to step into each new day praying that God's new world order brought about by the resurrection would break into the present world through our words and through our deeds. I love this quote by scholar theologian N.T. writes a long quote, but I want you to listen to what he writes. He says, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. You're not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up. You are, strange as though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, every act of gratitude and kindness, Every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation. Every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk. Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. This is what we've been given power to do. Christ Central, Jesus spent all of his time after the resurrection with his friends and his disciples, encouraging them and strengthening them in their doubts and denials and confusions. And this is how the living Christ wants to meet you. He, he gives you room in your doubts and struggles, and he offers his presence, relationship. He responds to questions by giving proof. Look to the scriptures, and they point to the faithful one. And he recommissions you as witnesses to the world by granting you Holy Spirit power pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, who got up and said, it's all true, and sat down, spoke something that if it cuts through our questioning and doubting, will change our lives. It changes everything. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would help us to believe. And Lord, that's not just a, always a mental shift. Lord, as we see you interacting in this passage, you invite us into relationship to ask our questions. You give us proof. And it is too good to be true, but it is true that, Jesus, you rose from the dead. And, and now you have given us your spirit. And you have called us into your mission to witness, to point in all that we do to Christ and to your kingdom come. Lord, continue to to transform us, continue to strengthen us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.